The first time I saw Israel. As we in Israel mark 50 years since the Yom Kippur War, we aren't just reopening military archives and recalling battles and history. We are also recalling the impact it had on the state, the Jewish people, and our lives. For me, it is also the 50th anniversary of my Aliyah, or moving to Israel with my family from the United States. It was a most unusual immigration that brought us here in the early days of the bloody war. Half a century ago, my father, who was at the time the commander of intelligence for the New Orleans Police Department, was shot by a gunman on the roof of the Howard Johnson's Hotel. It was January 1973. He was only wounded, but nine men, mostly other policemen, were dead. After years of living on the edge, putting his life on the line, this passionate Zionist decided it was time to take his family to Israel, where he thought it would be safer, with the promise of a job in the Israel police. After a cross-country journey, my parents, two sisters, and I arrived in New York City on the night of October 5th, 1973. We got up early the next morning to go sightseeing and then go to the Yom Kippur services at a synagogue in Lexington Avenue. We went in and Papa just couldn't relax, hours away from departure. Something was up. We stepped outside and began walking up and down the avenue when he saw someone reading the New York Post. Its extradition headline read, Middle East erupts, Egypt crosses the canal, Syrians march in the Golan, air war over the Gulf of Suez, Israel is mobilizing. My father's face had this, why me, Lord, look. He was clearly finding out that it's not easy being a Jew. I didn't know what the word mobilizing meant. I thought it meant disintegrating. I started shaking. Well, Papa, what do we do now? So here was the O'Sullivan family. We had sold everything and had nothing to go back to. My father bought a small battery-powered radio from a street vendor, and we went to Central Park to think it through. He drew maps and sand as we listened to the newscasts. He tried to pretend it wasn't as bad as it all sounded, but my mother, Dina, wasn't so sure. We called a friend who came and picked us up to stay at his home until we could learn more. There, we glued ourselves to the radio and took out the maps, and every time the newscast came on, we'd listen to their reports. Egyptians had laid another pontoon bridge across the Suez Canal, and another one, and another one. It looked very bad. We couldn't remain in limbo at our friend's house forever. We had to make a decision. A day passed. My father contacted the Shaliyah, an emissary from the State of Israel, dispatched to encourage Jews in America to immigrate, and he was based in Atlanta, Georgia, and responsible for the southern United States. We had never met him in person and had only known him through telephone calls and letters. Go back home and contact me when this is all over. Anyway, they need the room on the airplanes for the reservists going back to fight, he said bluntly. We had no home. Everything we owned was in five bags in the trunk of a car. Besides, this wasn't the time to abandon Israel. The Shiliach took our phone number and promised to get back with us. Later that evening, he actually did call, but he had a bizarre message. If my father, and only my father, wanted to go, he could because he could help as a volunteer. There was no way the rest of us could go. Mom said, if you want to go, then go. I'm not taking the children there now. At about 10 p.m. that night, the Shalia called again to say that if we could get to JFK Airport before midnight, there were four seats being held for us. But we're five people, my father said. Four seats, take it or leave it. 
We had had long family talks. My father was confident that Israel would blitz this one just like the Six Days War six years earlier. The Israeli defense forces were invincible, he said. My mother was not so sure. She had never been to Israel before, not even on any pilot trip, and had only this year decided to go through with the formal conversion process. Becoming a Jew was one thing, but it was something else entirely to take your family into a war zone in a faraway country where you knew no one, didn't speak the language, and had only a vague promise of a job and housing. On the other hand, the war couldn't last that long, and returning to the life of a cop family in New Orleans, where my father would be away for days at a time, would most probably have led to a divorce. She had a sense of adventure bursting to get out, and she decided to go. We all decided to go. We'll take the four seats, my father said in the telephone. The next telephone call my father made was to his dad. Oh, I'm so glad you called, my grandfather said. What time are you coming back? I'll meet you at the airport. Dad, my father said, I called to say goodbye. We made a mad rush to the airport, which resulted in a long wait at the terminal. Finally, the five of us got on, and even our dog Harry was taken along in his cage. The plane was filled with reservists, mostly shaggy-haired young men traveling, working, or studying in America, who were now rushing back to fight the Egyptians in the Sinai or the Syrians on the Golan Heights. We boarded the plane. Someone had given my sisters and I balloons and little Israeli flags. My father carried little Kelly, five years old, in his arms, and she held on to her teddy bear. We were the only family on the plane, and when we came aboard, everyone looked at us with a strange look in their eyes. You coming to visit Israel now, someone asked? Don't you know there's a war on? We're not just coming to visit, my father replied. We're making aliyah, using the Hebrew word for going up, which meant immigrating to the state of Israel. The young men in front heard this and started clapping. Everyone turned to look, and as word spread, they're moving to Israel. Soon, the whole plane was giving the O'Sullivan family a standing ovation. Some were saying something else. They're Meshuganaim, the Yiddish word for absolutely nuts. We arrived at night, October 9th. The entire country was under a wartime blackout. There were no lights shining from Tel Aviv below to signal we were getting any closer. Very quickly, the plane descended and we landed at Lod Airport without fanfare. Most of those aboard were likely deeply anxious about how they were going to get to their military units on the front. At the airport, there were sandbags and armored personnel carriers and anti-aircraft guns, like a movie set. My eyes were wide open. Wow, this is great, I said. Soldiers were everywhere. My mother was scared out of her wits. I don't want to see anything, she said, shaking her head. We passed through customs. It was so dark we had to use flashlights. My dog Harry came around out riding the baggage conveyor belt. Somehow he had gotten out of his cage, and when he saw us, he jumped off, took up his position at my side, and when we walked out, he followed us as if he'd been living here all his life. An official from the immigration agency greeted us and led us to a small transit outside. Because of the blackout, its headlights were painted over black, except for two slits to allow a little light out. We drove off toward the mountains for a village on the outskirts of Jerusalem. There, we were to be put up in what the Israelis were calling an absorption center. I didn't like the sound of that. Meanwhile, at the absorption center of Mevaseretzion, as it was called, New York native Shlomo Einstein woke up his wife, Sarah. They had moved to Israel just a few months earlier, and now he was in charge of the welcoming committee. Sarah, wake up, he said. I need dog food. Shlomo, is there something wrong with you? Sarah said. No, 
There's a family arriving. Their name is O'Sullivan. They have a dog. I need dog food. O'Sullivan? In the middle of the night? There's the war on. Are you Meshuggana? He wasn't. And he somehow got hold of some dog food and other provisions, and he showed up as we got out of the transit. Einstein, who had already forgotten our name but knew it was something Irish, came up to my father, and the first thing he said was, Welcome, Mr. Kelly. They took us to one of the public bomb shelters. They'd been locked when the war broke out three days before, but the immigrants had managed to break them open. As a precaution, families were spending the nights in the shelter, known in Hebrew as Miklat. Miklat was the first word we learned in this new country. The light from a single candle was all that was lighting up the underground shelter. It was an exhausting journey, and we all fell asleep immediately, wrapped up in blankets. When morning came, the sunlight cascaded down the concrete steps into the shelter. We slowly climbed the steep steps through the narrow, womb-like passageway. In a kind of a rebirth, the O'Sullivan family emerged from this bomb shelter and saw Israel in the daylight for the first time in our lives. It was a most unusual venue for my first glimpse of the Holy Land. Come.